This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. It is Toronto today. Mike Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler today. I'll be your little radio buddy until 1 o'clock this afternoon, and then Scotty Mack in the one chair. And I assume today, like yesterday, some fascinating phone calls on the way home. Even a conspiracy theorist talking about O.J. Simpson. The, uh, the, the I guess the uh, hearing is today. So they will keep you up to speed on that as it progresses. Uh, coming up on this show today, baseball and baseball. As we will have uh, both Richard Griffin join us from the Toronto Star, one of our Blue Jays insiders. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the blister. feel sorry for the kid. I mean, come on. What he's had to go through and just, you know, all of the discussion about innings last year. And now he's free and the blister comes up and they treat it. And they shut him down for a couple of months and now it comes back. I mean, come, That's not fair. So we'll talk to him about that, and just you know, is a time to shut him down. That will be uh, one of our poll questions today as, as we continue. But uh, Griff will join us at about 11.15. At uh, 12.30, Chris Cotillo will join us, MLB reporter and insider at SB Nation, and we'll go over some of the trade rumors, including those involving your Toronto Blue Jays. So baseball at 11.15 and 12.30. At 11.30, Ryan Ballinger will drop by. He is the owner of Golf News Net, and uh, we'll, we'll get the update on the Open Championship, which uh, began today with some weird stuff going on. As always, it's a British Open. There has to be something a little bit outside, the, uh, outside of the norm that goes on. And uh, pumped beyond pumped for this one. Um, and there is a sports angle. See, I try to, I try to do something about this annual celebration this seven days of Super Bowls all strung together I try to do something every year sometimes it's difficult to find the sports angle to try and justify this but thank you this year I do I have a legitimate reason to have them on because as part of this week Michael Phelps is going to race a shark Michael Phelps was in the Olympics, don't you know? He won many, many gold medals. That makes this a legitimate sports story. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Shark Week beginning on Sunday. I don't know about you. When I hear the word Shark Week, I get giddy. I love this. I, I, I record all of the new episodes that are out this year. I record all of the old docs, and uh, my wife and I just sit back and we revel in all that is Shark for a week plus, because we with the with the glory of being able to record all of these things, we can stretch Shark Week out to about three weeks. Watch the new episode that night. Sometimes there are two new episodes on one given night, and then all of the old stuff that we can just go back and watch again and be equally as entertained. So to celebrate the beginning of Shark Week, this is really cool. Dan Riskin. And Zaya Tong from Discovery, from Daily Planet, are coming into the studio to talk about Shark Week and why it's the best week of the year. Scrizz, you're looking at me like it's not the best week of the year. Joe Narsa, the producer, you're looking at me like... Mm-hmm. 
Do you guys get into this? I mean, are you into Shark Week at all? Be honest. I'll do one or two days, mm-hmm. or one or two nights, I guess, and yep. that's about it. Mm-hmm. You get sharked out. Yeah. But you get, you at some point, you get really interested in what's going on. Well, I'm a nature fan, so. Well, yeah. let's see. There you go. Always down to learn something. I'm afraid of this one. Joe. Yeah. Captain Grumpy. Okay, this is going to further that, but I've never watched like a minute Come of Shark on. Week. Come on. Yeah, no. see, that, bl- that blows my mind. I swear. No. Even when I was little and they had that whole thing where remember they sent everybody 3D glasses? Right. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I did not watch that. How could you not? Like, I don't seriously. like it. I know, I know. Who hurt you, Joe? Who hurt you? Do you need, you a, hug? need a hug? Exactly. See? You need left shark to come up and hug you. That's that guy, what you need. That is my extent of Shark Week. Left shark is the best shark. Did you ever watch Sharknado? No, and okay, I heard that's God. I heard that's pretty funny. Thank though. God, no, it's not. It's, it's funny for all of the wrong reasons. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. So I, I, I will admit, I'm, I'm very pumped for that. Uh, so Dan and Zai will be in studio. Uh, what about twelve ten, twelve fifteen ish? So in the 12 o'clock hour, uh, they will uh, drop by. And, uh, of course, the one thing that we have to ask Dan, which might frustrate him more than anything else if you are a fan of him or a fan of the show, um, he is probably somewhat bitter about Shark Week because there is no Bat Week. I'll get him to explain that to you. But I'm sure if there was Bat Week, Dan would be like the ultimate host of hosts for that specific animal, bird, rodent, big insect. Uh, so Dan and Zaya, Richard Griffin, Ryan Ballinger, and Chris Cattell. That is the uh, that is the lineup for today. Um, if you were watching uh, the uh, the Blue Jay game last night, and and and, and at this stage. God love you if you are. Uh, it's 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 looking worse and worse and worse and worse as the days go along uh, for any potential playoff spot. And we circled this part of the schedule about a month ago, probably, when things weren't looking all that good and there were still those of you who were sitting out there saying, you know, they still have a chance. They start getting everybody back and everybody gets healthy and... Some of the guys recapture the magic, and Donaldson starts playing like an MVP again, and somehow they can stitch together some innings out of the bullpen, and, 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 and. And there were just too many ands to ask to be uh, answered to the positive, uh, positive, or put it in the positive ledger, I guess. Bautista will bounce back, and Russell Martin will bounce back, and... And just not enough is happening. And now you see this. And, you know, do you shut the kid down for the season? That's that's the question. I mean, they've shut him down. They've tried everything right now. They've done the surgery. They've, they've tried to get the nail fixed. I just, I don't know what you do. And, the, uh, Joe, we have a poll question. Is it up now? Yes, my, it my, is. My computer is on the fritz Yes, right now. it is. Uh, mm-hmm. So our poll question is... Should based on the way the season is going for the Blue Jays, which is, is it which time? Isn't, which isn't well. No, just to underscore that. So he said, "Is it time for the Jays to shut down Aaron Sanchez?" Mm-hmm. Your options are yes, be proactive for 2018. Okay. No, not yet. Okay. Let's wait and see. And at 61 percent, yes, be proactive is winning, and let's wait and see is in second at 30. 
And only 8% is the no, not yet, because I think they still think the Jays have a chance at a wild card. Mm-hmm. But Scrizzy's internal monologue came out like about a minute ago. Oh, really? And he just turned around and he like looked off and he said, well, they should just make Osuna a starter and Sanchez the closer. It just happened. That, uh, that that theory has been kicked around a little bit. A, uh, they've been trying to stretch out Sanchez, and B, Osuna doesn't want to do it. Right, but if if this, like, I think this conversation was had, I think last week or the week before, Dirk was talking to uh, Scotty Mack, mm-hmm. and he was saying if this continues, maybe he is a bullpen guy. Maybe his stuff can translate, and you take that stress of knowing that he could get a blister anytime he's on the mound, because... What Dirk was saying is it tends to become a recurring issue. It's not oh, sure. kind of a one-off. It, it, it's not like, you know, some guys are able to come back after an extended period. Maybe the most the most notable one uh, in Toronto was Al Leiter from back in the glory days, uh, who had blister problem, and he ended up leaving as a free agent. But uh, that was something that bothered him. And there were a lot of fans that actually at the time we're mad at Al Leiter for developing blisters. Oh, like, what's he doing? Like, there's got to be something he's doing. It was it was unbelievable how much heat he took in this market. Um, like, what the hell else can you do? Like, in this case, he's done essentially everything. And if if it's just going to be a chronic problem, I don't know how you deal with it. I mean, he's still going to have to pitch. And if you pitch, whether it's a starter, I mean, obviously you're going to throw fewer pitches as a reliever than a starter. But you're still going to have the tendency to develop the blister. Um, I don't know enough about theories onto and just methodology and how to prevent a blister on your finger from recurring. I'm sure that whatever methodology is out there, Sanchez has either tried or talked about or thought about or shook off and said not yet. I mean, we've talked about this with Griff before. And it's the old uh, wives' remedy, but numerous major leaguers have done it, and that's soak your hand in your own urine. If it works, I still don't know how somebody came up with that idea. Hey, maybe I'll do this; it'll work. Um, but there are there are several ways over the years that people have tried to uh, uh, tried to fix this problem, and I just feel sorry for the kid. I mean, he's. In my eyes, he is the most valuable Toronto Blue Jay. When you're looking long-term, um, he's an exceptional talent. When he is on, he is just so damn good and so much fun to watch. He's young. He's controlled contractually. I mean, he just checks every box. He seems to be a really good kid. And yet you have to watch him go through this. Um to me, he would be the toughest guy of anybody on the tr- team to trade. Although now, with this problem, do you even start entertaining that? And I know there, there are people who have talked about dealing him. I'm, I'm not someone who subscribes to that theory. Um, I like building around young arms. And you've got three pretty good ones. We've mentioned two of them. And you throw Stroman into that mix, who again is controlled. Uh, I... I I just I just like building from that base and working around that and adding to that and adding starting arms to that and adding guys in the bullpen to that. You've got two pretty damn good young starting pitchers, and that's not easy to find. And then you've got a young closer to finish things off who is really happy 
about being the closer. And he's talked about his anxiety issues. Um, I think it's important to keep a guy like that in a, in a very good place mentally. And he wants to be a closer. And if you try to convert him to become a starting pitcher, you're going to have to stretch him out. If, you, if you're thinking about doing it and you go all in, you're going to have to stretch him out next year. You're going to have him on an innings count. So you're not really looking at him as being that guy until 2019. So you're going to lose another year next year. I'm fairly content to keep him where he is and keep him happy. And when he's on, he might not be the best in the business, but he's pretty damn high on the list. Well, one of the topics I had been thinking about was, but as a closer, has Osuna peaked? Like, has his value peaked? Because it's a very demanding position, Mm -hmm. and there is a very limited amount of players that are able to do it on a long-term basis and be very successful. But he might be one of those guys. Agreed. See, a lot of times you'll get a closer who is a failed starter and, and does this, I don't want to say out of necessity, but for practical reasons. He becomes a closer. A rel- he becomes a reliever, and then all of a sudden, you figure out, okay, he's got the mindset and the repertoire to be a closer, and everything lines up. Uh, this is a young guy who wants to be a closer. He's got the mindset where that's where he wants to be as a major league baseball player. He wants to close. He likes it. He loves it. So if you've got a guy who's successful at it, a guy who's got the mentality. To do it as well. And let's face it, a guy who seems to be in a pretty good place right now mentally, considering where he was, hopefully he's on the right track. And hopefully remaining in this role makes it both hunky and dory. Everything is good for him. Again, you've got three exceptional arms. And to me, that's the building block of this franchise. Um, Josh Donaldson, I would certainly entertain trade offers for him you'd have to get a boatload back i'm not saying give him away for the sake of giving him away and if you can't move him fine you still can move him in the offseason and maybe you bring in a few more teams although with that extra year of contract hey makes it pretty attractive for a team to get him for a year plus this year plus so that's out there as well we'll get into uh Baseball and the trade discussion coming up in the next hour as at 12.30, Chris Cotillo will join us from SB Nation, MLB reporter and insider. And he's been uh, very proactive on Twitter and in his column talking about trades and who is out there, what is rumored to be happening, and we can get all the latest gossip, as it were, uh, from Chris Cotillo. That will come up at 12.30. And uh, also, a major topic of discussion in this market now becomes a blister as well as the trade discussion. And uh, we'll bring aboard now uh, one of our baseball insiders, brought to you by Oakland Ford Lincoln, your premier source for auto service and sales in the GTA from the Toronto Star, one of our TSN 1050 insiders, Mr. Richard Griffin. What's up, Griff? Morning, Louis. How bad do you feel for Aaron Sanchez right now? Well, you know, everybody gets, so optimistic every time he goes back out there, and and this time he seemed to, to take the proper amount of uh, rehab time in the minor leagues, and yet his second or his third start back, uh, it happens again. And you know to say that they caught it in time 
is a bit simplistic because uh, they haven't been able to do it. And, and he says it's been a problem for uh, over a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, I just don't see his season being anything more than, than a series of rehabs. The, the the tough thing is, and, and, and you've probably studied up on baseball blisters for pitchers more than I have, simply because that's your day-to-day gig. Uh, in other sports, you can get away with a blister. As a pitcher, you can't. Um, what what methods are out there that he hasn't tried yet that aren't, you know, old wives' tales? Well, uh, he's, he's pretty much tried them all from the, going to Kansas City and having that fingernail uh, cut in two yeah. to expose the... Uh, the, the area, and uh, you know, the only one that I know he hasn't tried is uh, soaking his hand in pickle brine all day. But yeah. uh, um, you know, it, it's it's a difficult situation. And uh, Marcus Stroman pointed out what may be a truth is that uh, the ball has changed, and MLB has promised that they, uh, you know, the seams uh, may be a little more raised, and the, the ball is a little slicker. And uh, you know, these things. They may have to uh, do a real study on it because there's a lot of pitchers going through that uh, going through that problem right now, and uh, you know it, it, things are cyclical. It used to be obliques of a few years ago. Now it's blisters, and uh, maybe something can be done about it to save uh, these guys' careers moving forward. I, I'm I'm curious about this whole raised um, uh, seam thing on the baseball grip because I would think as a pitcher. Um, you would want, you know, I, I know when I dabbled in it when I was a younger guy, uh, I always looked for the higher seam. I looked for, you know, if it, there was an offset seam on a baseball, um, you could get a better grip if you, if you tried to figure out if there was a way to use that to your advantage. How is this becoming problematic for guys when you would think that that's what they would be looking for? Well, apparently the, the seams are also lacquered a little bit so that, there's, uh, so that they preserve the, the stitches um, and there's fewer fewer stitches on the on the ball, but they're preserved with uh, some sort of a lacquer, which is going to irritate okay. the fingers that make contact with it. Why would they do that? Why would they lacquer up the seams? That to, to, when you're using a ball that you're probably using for you know a couple of hitters maximum anyway, uh, with the amount not, of foul balls. Even. Yeah, but, <laughs> not, you know, if, why why would why does it matter? I think it all comes down to Rob Manfred wanting to put uh, more offense in the game and uh, and maybe they're testing. Because these balls, there was a study where uh, two game-approved balls went 49 feet difference when hit in a uh, simulated uh, hitting situation. Two balls that could be in an umpire's pocket and there was a 49-foot difference in carry in the two approved balls. So there, there is something going on with the balls, and, and, you know, it would seem just from a layman's standpoint that if the seams are lacquered, it makes the ball harder, and it would go farther. Well, why wouldn't they just come out and admit this? I mean, didn't, you know, when, when Sosa, McGuire, and, and uh, Bonds were all the rage, and people were talking about the steroids, uh, it was also talked about that they were, they were winding the baseballs tighter. Uh, which would have made them fly further, and I don't know if that was uh, if that if Major League Baseball ever admitted that or not. But why wouldn't they just come out and say, "Yeah, we're we're trying different things with the baseball right now"? Um, MLB doesn't like to admit mistakes, um, and it, look how long it took them to uh, to finally come around. Uh, beginning with the Mitchell Report, and Bud Selig is a huge, huge fan of baseball, and I don't think Rob Manfred has that same. 
uh, attraction for the game. He's more about how do we maximize profits, how do we this and that. And to him, um, more offense in the game, more home runs is a way to maximize profit. And uh, if it affects a few pitchers, I don't think that's a concern of his. Whereas Bud Selig would have been all over this. But that said, if you're losing pitchers who are gate attractions, I don't know how many people here in Toronto go, oh, it's Aaron Sanchez pitching tonight. This is the night I'm going to go down and watch the game as opposed to Stroman. Uh, but in San Francisco, if Johnny Cueto's on the mound, you might have uh, you might have a few more fans doing that, and he's going through blister problems. Um, to, why not fuel for the pitchers a little bit more? Because they can sell tickets in some instances. Well, that, that's why it was, it was important for uh, Stroman to speak up, for uh, Syndergaard, for, for those guys that have been affected to speak up. And I think that there is some action going on behind the scenes in terms of, of uh, studying the problem and seeing if it is the ball and then maybe going back to some of or reducing some of the specifications that they've added to, to create more offense. I, th- I think that that's in the process of happening, but MLB is not going to admit it. Should the Jays just shut down Sanchez for the rest of the year? I think at a certain point, I think maybe uh, after the All-Star break, um, if it's still going on, give him a couple months off because uh, by that point, I mean, we can all see it now. Uh, the schedule is running out. They're not going to have, uh, you know, an opportunity just in terms of track, racetrack to, to catch up. And uh, I think that at some point, uh, after the trade deadline, when they when they if they do come up with maybe one of their minor league pitchers who's developed enough to, to that you want to have a two month look see, I think that 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 would be the prudent course of action. Richard Griffin joining us from the Toronto Star, one of our baseball insiders here at TSN ten fifty. Uh, it is the silly season in baseball. There are trade rumors aplenty. What's the latest you've heard involving the Jays that makes any sense at all? Well, the only ones that make any sense, the ones that don't make any sense are, to me, are Stroman or Osuna in terms of, uh, of making a deal for those guys because those are the guys that you would need moving forward if you're going to even pretend to compete in 2018. You want control- controllable, talented pitchers, and those are the guys that you have. So you trade them and you'd have to replace them, and you already have them. But the guys that do make sense are Joe Smith in a crowded bullpen situation, yeah. uh, Steve Pierce, uh, who's come around with the bat and it would be useful for a contender, even just as a platoon, a right-handed hitter. Uh, those are the type of guys that are not part of the Blue Jays' plans moving forward but do have some value. Uh, what do you think will happen? I think that that's what will happen. Yeah. Those, those two guys, uh, they'll be... They'll be Teams looking for that type of player as the, as the deadline gets closer, and uh, I don't think there'll be any major moves by the Blue Jays one way or another in terms of getting rid of star players or acquiring rentals. I think it's going to be a quiet trade deadline. Looking back at uh, Mark Shapiro's modus operandi with the Indians, uh, trade deadlines were always very quiet. And you would think you'd be able to bring a couple of more teams at least into it if you were to deal a guy like Donaldson in the summer as opposed to doing it now. But uh, with Donaldson, there was that uh, report a couple of weeks ago that internally the Cardinals were, were at least having some slight discussions about the possibility of, uh, of asking about Josh Donaldson. <laughs> uh, it was very vague. But were, were, you, were you able to find out one way or the other if, if the Jays have been um, have had a serious inquiry about Donaldson? 
Listen, they they are willing to listen to to anyone, and I love the way you phrased that vagueness of the card. Well, yeah, it was it was you know a couple of guys talk in the elevator about maybe we should go and yeah. get Donaldson. And I'm not trying to 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 throw the reporter under the bus, who you know is a very uh, provocative tweeter and story writer. Because if there's any grain of truth to it, he'll write about it. Which you know, fine, that's great. But it it just from the sounds of it, it sounded like it was just as vague as vague could be. Yeah, and and the situation with Donaldson, especially uh, the way he uh, jammed his thumb the the other day, uh, that's going to create a situation where teams will want to wait and see. You know, if you can't, if you make a huge trade and can't put the guy in the lineup immediately, or don't know whether there'll be some injury issues moving forward, uh, the off season would be the better time, even for the acquiring team to look at making that deal because they have him under control for another year. He'll be arbitration eligible, and they could work on, you know, if it's a big market team, they can work on signing him long-term while also getting his talents to make a run at a, at a division or, or at the World Series. Final question, Liriano Fister at Fenway today. If I were to put the over-under at runs given up by the starter at 10.5, do you go over or under? I, I go over. I, I think that uh, the, the Red Sox view of the Blue Jays was evident when they had uh, Price and Porcello in, in the doubleheader and then moved Sale back from today's schedule. Yeah. I think that shows the disrespect that the other division contenders have for the Blue Jays at this point in time. Enjoy the game this aft and uh, indeed the games over the weekend. Griff, always a pleasure. Thanks, partner. That is uh, Richard Griffin joining us from the Toronto Star and uh, one of our baseball analysts on TSN 1050. And as always, our Baseball Insider is brought to you by the Oakland Ford Lincoln Quick Lane, conveniently located at 570 Trafalgar Road in Oakville. When we come back, the Open Championship is underway. Ryan Ballinger from Golf Newsnet joins us next on Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Eleven thirty-one, and this is Toronto today. Mike Hogan with you in for Gareth Wheeler. Wheels will be back next week. Coming up on the program, oh, I am beyond pumped for this. In the next hour, Dan Riskin and Zaya Tong from Discoveries Daily Planet in studio as we celebrate Shark Week. That's awesome. Also coming up in the next hour, baseball talk as Chris Cotillo will join us from. Uh, the uh, SB Nation website. First up, though, uh, we'll get some uh, golf talk on the program, which is uh, fitting because it's time for the British Open. And our Golf Insider brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. And joining us now from Golf News Net, Ryan Ballinger. Ryan, how have you been? Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm really disappointed right now because uh, I've been watching. I've had it on in the background here, and there's no rain. The flags are just fluttering a little bit. I want bad weather. I think we're going to get it tomorrow. Yes. And it, that kind of seems like a stay-tuned notice, but that, that's pretty much where we're at at this point. The weather forecast for Friday and Saturday is pretty gross. Uh, rain is almost 100% chance. The gusts are going to pick up. There'll be sustained winds closer to 25 miles per hour. Ooh. There'll be some gusts. Oh. To 40, so we're we're talking real British Open golf for the middle rounds, and then Sunday it actually looks like it'll be a little bit calmer. But you never know in England, and you never know in the in the British Open what's going to happen. So we we might just get that forecast to change on it. For, forget about you, the golf writer, but as a golf fan, don't you want to see bad weather at the Open? 
Sure. I mean, I, I think that's the character of the championship, sure. right? I mean, Link's golf and playing in tough conditions. And we kind of hoped for that a little bit on the, the American Link style course that was Aaron Hills for the U.S. Open yeah. that didn't manifest itself, and you saw what happened. And you're seeing what's happening right now. you got three guys tied for the lead at five under par, and that doesn't typically happen on this golf course. Royal Birkdale, it's, it's a pretty penal golf course. It's mm-hmm. difficult for tee to green. Uh, guys don't typically shoot 65s around here. So uh, I think these guys realize they can get it while they can. And once they realize that they can, they're going to play a lot more defensive golf. And even Spieth after his round today, he's one of the co-leaders at 65, said, uh, I think we're on that right now is good enough to win the championship. All I've got to do is play for par the rest of the way. Easier said than done, but sure. I think he's got a point. And, and I would think that uh, just by looking at the leaderboard and you look at the top nine uh, players on the board right now, six of them are American. I think that tells you what the weather is like <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it, that, you make a good point about that. I mean, this is very American golf. There's no bump and run so far to this yeah. point. Pretty much everything's played through the air. The greens are very receptive. They're not particularly fast, you know, 10, 10 and a half on the stint meter. So that's about four feet slower than a U.S. Open. So you just kind of got to find your line on these relatively flat surfaces and just make sure you get it there. And if you can do that, you can make a lot of birdies and eagles. Phil Mickelson aside, among the younger Americans, is Spieth the best marriage for uh, a British Open as opposed to playing in North America? That's a good question. I, I think that he probably has the mental acuity for Lynx golf that a lot of the, his fellow younger American players don't have. Mm-hmm. The, the best skill that he has other than putting in short game is his ability to grind and work through anything, poor swing, bad conditions, difficult situations. That's what he's good at doing. He's, he's got that strength that I think takes a long time to develop if you're someone who's in their 20s and is just starting to figure out how to be successful in the PGA Tour. Speed's got 10 wins. He knows how to do, do it, and he, he's been the, the major situation twice with victories. So I think that part of it really does line up extremely well with how he plays. Um, I think he's probably salivating at the thought of wind affecting the entire field tomorrow. I was very stunned today when I was looking at the leaderboard and with, with the conditions so uh, pristine by British Open standards, Louis, uh, Louis Oosthuizen was plus eight today. What happened there? I, I wish I had an answer for you. I mean, I, I kind of started scrolling up and down the leaderboard and saw Louis at plus A. I mean, 78 is just not something you expect from a guy of that caliber, former British Open champion, a guy who's been playing pretty well uh, the last, really, month or two. And I think he had drawn a lot of attention as kind of a super sleeper pick because so many other guys had drawn attention with their current form. But uh, I'm, I'm very surprised Louis got out in 78. And, and he could still make the cut tomorrow. I mean, if you shot under 80 today, you probably have a chance to make the cut with the wind. So we'll just have to see how it works out tomorrow and if he gets on the good side of the draw or not. And and even more stunning to me is Rory McIlroy, who started bogey, par, bogey, 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 par. Yeah, he's not been good. <laughs> I mean, he just has not been good for about two months now. Part of it's dealing with a ribbon back injury. Sure. Part of it is getting new equipment. Part of it's getting married. Part of it is he's just trying to figure out some kinks in his game. He's not putting well, and that's that's the streaky aspect of his game more than anything else. And that when that starts to fail pretty badly, and he's searching for answers, searching searching for different putters, then that affects the rest of your game and starts kind of peeling back. And then you you put pressure on your short irons, you put pressure on your longer irons, you put pressure on your drives, and all of a sudden there's pressure on every part of your game, and that that can get pretty overwhelming kind of quickly this time of year. 
Um, our guest uh, today talking a little golf is Ryan Ballingy from Golf Newsnet. Who did you pick to win this tournament beforehand? Did you, did you have a prohibitive favorite, or did you have a group of three or four? I tweeted three guys last night before we got everything going this morning here uh, in the United States, uh, and, and just I thought Ricky Fowler had it. I thought this was his time. I thought Tommy Fleetwood had it. He obviously yeah. does not. He's six over today. Yeah. I thought Justin Rose had it. He's one over. That's not bad. That's only six back, and and with what's to come, that's not terrible. I, I really do believe Fowler has the best opportunity, though. He's been in both uh, contention on Sunday in both majors this year. He has let it get away from him in both those, the Masters, very quickly. The U.S. Open, not so much so quickly, but he, he had a good finish there, too. So I, I think more than anything else, his belief that this is a process for him to win a major championship as opposed to demanding it now may actually help him in this championship because it requires patience to believe that you can do it over time. And you're going to need patience if the win that's expected arrives Friday and Saturday. Um, I, I do want to ask you, you know, because one of the greatest moments in golf history almost happened when Tom Watson almost won it at 59. It would, it would have been just such an incredible story. Ernie Els had a good round today or is having a good round today. Is is there a, a, a player that is on the north side of 40, shall we say, that has a legitimate shot this weekend? Uh, that's hard to identify, I think. I mean, Greg, last time the Open was here in, in 08, Greg Norman was the 54-hole leader right. at the age of 52. Right. So I, I don't think anyone expected that to happen. And, and it kind of manifested itself over three rounds, just three pretty good rounds that got him there because this is a tough golf course. Uh, you know, Ernie Els off to a good start, minus two through 15. That's certainly shocking. Paul Laurie's two under through eight. That's kind of surprising, the 99 Open champion. And then you kind of go look down the board a little bit more, and the guy I start thinking about is Steve Stricker, who won the almost won the B flight last year. Yeah. He was tied for fourth place, and he's even par today. So he's in the house at seventy. That's not a bad score. I don't care whether you're five back or ten back. Even par in the first round of a major championship is a good score with weather looming. Uh, what are you looking for? What do you think the storyline that will develop will be on the weekend? I think it's hang on for dear life the rest of the way. <laughs> Honestly, you know, with Friday and Saturday being so difficult, uh, you're probably going to see a lot of guys back up. The scoring average is certainly going to balloon. And I have a feeling that, I mean, if you look at the last time this the Open was played here, plus three was the winning score. I don't, yeah. I don't know that we're going to get to that level of difficulty. It was pretty brutal for the final 54 holes. But I think we can get to a place where maybe one under wins, even wins, one over wins. So if, if you're looking at guys right now who have, an advantage on that potential winning score, then everybody, about half the field right now, has a chance to win. And we'll start winnowing that down pretty quickly come tomorrow when whoever's on the bad side of the draw, and maybe it's just bad throughout, but whoever gets the bad of, of the weather starts to kind of fall back pretty quickly. And if anyone gets lucky and avoids it and gets to play around avoiding and plays well, then they find themselves way ahead of the field going through the final 36. Ryan, a pleasure. I, I hate interrupting you during the middle of the Open, but I thank you for doing it. Uh, and enjoy the golf the rest of the weekend. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That is Ryan Ballingy joining us from Golf News Net. At uh, Ryan Ballingy is uh, where you can find him on Twitter. I admit, I admit freely, I love watching uh, the Open when there's bad weather. I think that is just so cool to watch. Um, when you when you watch the guys over here in North America when it's absolutely pristine and you know they're driving past any hazards and it's just. You know, who's going to bomb at 320, and then who's going to make the chip, and who's going to be able to hit the one putt, maybe two, and the winning score is like 18 under for the weekend. (laughs) That gets pretty old. 
It can be interesting in a major, but I want to I want to see golf, and he used the perfect word punitive, where if you make a mistake, you're punished for it. If you hit the ball just into even the first cut of rough, it's going to cost you. If you hit it into the deep rough, you're screwed. And I like to see the guys who are so good at this sport, better than we'll ever dream of being. You go out and you shoot 70, good for you. Go out and play with Sergio on a, on, a, on an equal course and see how you do. Go out and play with Spieth. These guys are so freaking good at this. And when they have trouble, I just find, I just find it interesting and fascinating to see how they deal with being in situations that they're not used to being in. You and me go out the weekend duffer for the most part. We're used to that. And don't tell me you've never used your foot wedge. These guys can't. So when somebody hits one deep into the gorse and has to struggle or ends up sort of underneath the lip of one of those pit bunkers, I like watching them try to figure out, how do I do this? I'm not in the middle of the fairway. I just can't take my my 7-iron and put it 4 feet from the pin. I've got to think my way around this golf course. I find it fascinating, and that's what I love the most about the British Open. And with the breeze today, just you know, the the flags on the uh, on the pins are barely fluttering. I don't want to see that. I not only want to see the flag flat out, I want to see the bend in the middle of the pin. Like I want those kind of wins. I want to see guys have to play bump and run. Just a different approach to the game. It's different strategy. It's a different skill set. And that's what gives this, in my estimation, and I think most of you as well, that's what makes this tournament unique. And since it's different, for those of us who don't watch the Euro Tour on a daily basis or a weekly basis, bring it on. This is awesome because it's different. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, that many Americans... Uh, are there on the leaderboard uh, at the end of the tournament. We were just talking about Ernie Els and uh, the start that he got off to. Uh, He has just gone birdie-birdie on 15 and 16 and uh, has played his way onto the front page of the leaderboard. He is now tied for fourth at three under par, two strokes behind the co-leaders, Spieth, Kepka, and Kuchar. It's going to be an interesting open. We will uh, we will continue uh, continue focusing in on that. A reminder that our Golf Insider is brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. Uh, we'll scoot away for a couple of seconds. When we come back, uh, we've got to clean up the studio because we've got company coming over. And pumped up about this, Dan Riskin and Zaya Tong from Discovery's Daily Planet are going to join us in Shark Week. Michael Phelps is racing a shark. How are they going to do this? I mean, seriously, I just I don't understand. It's not like the shark is going to respond to a starter's pistol. I can't see the shark having to jump into the pool off the podium like he does in the Olympics. I just don't see that happening. At some point, does the shark have to do a backstroke? I can't see that happening. We'll find out how they're going to pull this off because that, to me... Uh, is as confusing as anything that I can think of in recent memory.
and I have way too much time on my hands. So that's coming up. They'll be in studio at 12.15. Also, some more baseball talk uh, coming up in the next hour as well as we continue with Toronto Today. Hogan in for Wheeler on TSN 1050. Eleven forty-nine. This is Toronto today. My name is Mike Hogan, in for Gareth Wheeler. We have a poll question up today, and we would love to have you participate in it. It's up on Twitter at TSN ten fifty radio. That is the official. He's got the little blue checky checky and everything. TSN ten fifty radio. That's where this poll is. Uh, I've just retweeted. I think I just retweeted it. Did I just retweet it? No, I haven't. There, I've just retweeted it. At TSN Mike Hogan. You can follow me on Twitter at that uh, specific address. Um, The question today is based on one Aaron Sanchez. It's back. Same spot, small blister. Boy, that's depressing. I feel so sorry for the kid. Because this is... This is out of his control. He's done everything he can. He's done the operation. They cut the nail. They did like they've done everything that you think that they could do. Short of dipping his finger in concrete and sending him out there. We talked to Griff about it in the last half hour or so. Um, also, our question is based on that because the way the season's going, you still may be optimistic. You still may think that this team has a run in it and can pass eight teams. To get into the playoffs. Not likely, especially without Sanchez. We've seen how the team has struggled without him for the most part this season. He's been a big part of that. If Aaron Sanchez is in the rotation, there may be a couple of more wins at least in the W column. So our question is, what do you do with him? Based on the way this season is going for the Blue Jays, is it time for the Jays to shut down Aaron Sanchez? Pretty simple question. And this baby may be more reflective on how you think the season is going than it is thinking about the long-term future of the kid. The leader at 57% is, yes, let's be proactive for 2018. Shut them down now. That's at 57%. 25% say, let's wait and see. And that may be the group that's kind of, it doesn't look good, so we can't really shut them down. What if they win? What if they sweep Cleveland? What if they win this afternoon? I mean, there's a chance. They're not dead yet. There's still a lot of games to be played. I think that there are still a lot of folks in that camp. Maybe there shouldn't be. You're not the eternal optimist. You're fairly realistic, but you're still hopeful. 18%. Sorry, 25% say, let's wait and see. And then there's 18% that are saying, no, 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 not yet. Don't do it. I don't know if that's 18% that say, they still got a shot at this thing. It's not over yet. Roughly one in five who have responded to this think that the Jays still have a shot legitimately. That's optimism. I mean, if you're part of that group, good for you for being that optimistic. 
because it's so easy to be a pessimistic sports fan, especially in this market. I mean, how bad were the Leafs for so long? Now you get a little bit of optimism. It's uh, it, all things are good. And if you've been a Raptor fan for 20 years, appreciating what you've got now because you've been there for the lows. But it's been it, it's been so easy to be negative in this market because there have been a lot of down years. TFC going through finally some good years. Argos having a good year after last year, where it was pretty easy to be pessimistic. And then the year before, where they played, what, five home games all season long? That's been pretty easy to get down on. And now the Blue Jays, after having a couple of very exciting seasons, you're still hopeful that there could be something there. And God love you for that. Good on you if you are that optimistic. I do not share your optimism about this ball club this year. I've never really come around to this team being a playoff contender this year and then with the injury problems that they've had to go through and some of the underperformers makes it almost impossible and now you see teams above the Blue Jays are adding when the rumors are the Jays are going to divest themselves of a couple of rental players so it's not looking good Uh, coming up in the next hour we'll get into some of the trade discussion Chris Cotillo will join us from SB Nation and uh, coming up at oh, about 20 minutes from now, if you're like me, you are beyond stoked because on Sunday, Shark Week starts on Discovery. From Daily Planet, Dan Riskin and Zaya Tong are going to join me in studio. I am pumped for that. And uh, we're going to talk sharks, and we're going to talk about Michael Phelps, and we're going to talk about them in the same sentence. If you're not sure why, stick around. We'll get to that coming up in the next uh, hour as we continue with Toronto Today here on TSN 1050.